Hello and welcome to Gender Forking the Life and Death podcast. So, um, we did it again. Yeah, yet again. Here we go. <laughs> Let's set the scene. Uh, it's it's September first. Yesterday, no, oh. two days ago. Okay, it's yes, two days ago. Okay, August twenty. No, August thirtieth. Yeah, I am editing the podcast because I'm a fantastic editor mm-hmm. and i know what i'm doing and sam's doing all the um, hard work on this podcast i'm doing so much hard work i'm i'm editing episode six it's hilarious it's fresh it's authentic <laughs> it's catchy and then, <laughs> and then i'm finishing i'm literally putting on like i'm about to put on the outro music and then garage band crashes and i open it up and all the data is gone and i've lost the episode and it's happened again <laughs> and I literally go through the five stages of grief. Yeah, and she's texting me <laughs> like, the whole time. Yeah. And I am at work in a meeting. Like, oh no. I'm like in denial, like, this did not happen again. I didn't do this again. And then anger, like, this cannot be happening. This is so dumb. She's bargaining. on the phone with Apple support. Bar- yeah, bargaining on the phone with Apple support. And then depression. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like so upset to have lost this brilliant masterpiece that will never see the light of day and then acceptance which is we can just do it again (laughs) so if you're wondering why i don't sound like i'm recording from beyond the grave it's because i have rented a microphone from my school's library hopefully this will sound a little bit better than the re-recorded episode two and i'm also forcing everyone that lives with me to suffer in the heat so that the air conditioner Mm. doesn't pick up on the track (laughs) we're artists Mm -hmm. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Sarah. Shout out to y'all. Oh, uh, we have to do the uh, the forecast. Yes. Forecast, the weather in forks. It is partly cloudy and 64 degrees. Every freaking time we do this, it's sunny <laughs> in forks. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get down to 49 it's it's cool now yeah, it's and um, down. Well, there's some there's some rain in a couple days though, but it's summer so the vampires don't have to go to school, so So they just get to it, like hunt in the woods they're camping yeah they're camping they're camping with their cousins (laughs) in alaska today's episode of the podcast episode six it is it is entitled vampire sex ed (laughs) we will be discussing chapters 14 through 16 of life and death by stephanie meyer and uh they these are great chapters Mm. we are just post meadow scene Mm. and i have a copy of twilight with me now (laughs) and And i have a copy of life and death yeah so chapter 14 mind over matter um we are leaving the meadow scene and we are driving back to Bo's house the rest of this chapter is like them staying at Bo's house at night because now Bo has learned that Edith watches him sleep sometimes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. The most prevalent part of this chapter is the conversation that they have, like, basically, like, in Bo's room at night while before he goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. So it's very different from Twilight in Life and Death, and I think it's, it's worth cross-examining because they have a conversation about sex that is so much more, mm. oh, like, yeah in detail that it is in twilight it's like so much oh yeah i remember that now it makes me angry because why didn't we have this in twilight yeah so charlie comes home but then then edith is already in Bo's room yeah let's let's see what let's see what um our good friend edward cullen says 
basically like what the situation is like is Bo slash Bella asking Edward slash Edith like if they're ever going to be able to have sex someday. Mm-hmm. What Bella says to start this conversation is, "You said that Rosalie and Emmett will get married soon. Is that dot 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 marriage dot 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 <laughs> the same as it as it is for humans?" And he says, "Is that what you're getting at?" And then she's like. Ugh. I don't know. And then (laughs) he says, yes, I suppose it is much the same. I told you most of those human desires are there, just hidden behind more powerful desires. Oh, was all I could say. Was there a purpose behind your curiosity? Well, I did wonder, dot, 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 about you and me, dot, 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 someday, dot, dot, dot. He was instantly serious. I could tell by the sudden stillness of of his body. I froze too, reacting automatically. I don't think that that, dot, 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 (laughs) that, dot, 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 would be possible for us. Mm. And she says, because it would be too hard for you if I were that dot 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 close. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I know. And he says, that's certainly a problem, but that's not what I was thinking of. It's just that you are so soft, so fragile. I have to mind my actions every moment that we're together so that I don't hurt you. I could kill you quite easily, Bella, simply by accident. His voice had become a soft murmur. If I was too hasty for if for one second i wasn't paying enough attention i could reach out mean to touch your face and crush your skull by mistake you don't understand how incredibly breakable you are i can never afford to lose any kind of control when i'm with you and then she's basically like do you do you even find me attractive like do you think that like i'm attractive in that (laughs) way at all oh yeah (laughs) yeah he's like he says i may not be a human but i am a man (laughs) (laughs) which is so stupid and like also Gender doesn't have to exist for vampires. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> honestly. Why haven't they done away with the institution? Yeah. Let's, um... Do you want me to, like, read the little let's just in Life and Death? Yeah, let's go okay. over to, the, to Life and Death, our friend. So it's a little bit different, like, how the conversation even gets set up is they're, like, already talking, and Edith can kind of tell that Bo wants to ask her something. He's like, I shouldn't have brought it up. And she's like, please. And he's like, you won't get offended. <laughs> and they, like, literally talk about this for longer. But then Bo is like... So I'm just an ordinary human guy, and you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and I'm overwhelmed by you, and a part of that, naturally, is that I'm insanely attracted to you, which I'm sure you can't help but have noticed, what with your being, like, super aware of my circulatory system, but what I don't know is if it's like that for you, or if it's like sleeping and eating, which you don't need and I do, though I don't want them as much as I want you. You said that Eleanor and Royal go off and live like a married couple, but doesn't that even mean the same thing for vampires? This question is totally offside completely not first date appropriate and i'm sorry and you don't have to answer and then all edith says is i would have said this is our second date and then she says are you asking me about sex Bo?" and he says yes and then she's and then he says i shouldn't have and she said i did climb into your bed Bo. i believe that makes this line of inquiry quite understandable she says i told you that you could ask me anything she paused and her voice is different kind of formal like a teacher lecturing so in the general sense sex and vampires 101 we all started out human Bo, and most of those human desires are still there still but just obscure behind more powerful desires but we're not thirsty all the time and we tend to form very strong bonds physical and emotional. And now in the specific sense, Sex and Vampires 102, Bo and Edith. She sighed again, more slowly this time. I don't think that would be possible for us. And then he says, because I would have to get too close, I guess. That would be a problem, but that's not the main problem. Bo, you don't know how well fragile you are. Uses the word fragile instead of soft. Yeah, you are so soft, so fragile. Yeah. Edith says... 
oh, you don't know how fragile you are. I don't mean that as an insult to your manliness. Anyone human is fragile to me. I have to mind my actions every moment that we're together so I don't hurt you. I could kill you quite simply by oh accident, whatever. Yeah, all that Which stuff. is the same. But, like, the difference in the way that she has to, like, break this, like, no sex news to her boyfriend is that, like, she yeah. not only has to, like, break this terrible news to Bo, but she also has to make sure she does it in a way that doesn't insult his manliness. I think throughout the book, Bo is sort of like, oh, you, I can't be emasculated, but it's because Edith is, like, a vampire, so she's special, and, like, yeah. like I can't expect to be, like, a vampire. Right, so it, like, kind yeah. of is just, like, he doesn't have to worry about it, whereas, yeah. like, maybe in a human relationship, he would worry about it. Yeah, so not only do we have, like, this sort of qualifying conversation about emasculation, they also have, like, so much, it's so much more in-depth yeah like the, the the conversation that they're having about sex versus what bella and edward say and it's yeah. so much more direct like it's they say the coded, word sex yeah they say the word sex yeah. and they like frankly talk about it also i'm pretty sure that in twilight bella doesn't directly ask if edward has any experience with sex and humans no they say like uh, i'll find the exact wording they but it's very vague yeah <laughs> Yeah, he asks, are you scared? And she says, no, I'm fine. And he says, I'm curious now, though. Have you ever... Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) He trailed off suggestively. And she says, of course not. I flushed. I told you I've never felt like this about anyone before, not even close. And then that's when she's like, do you even find me attractive at all? Mm -hmm. Um, But he... He says, uh, I know other people's thoughts. I know that love and lust don't always keep the same company. And she said, they do for me now that they exist for me at all. And then he says, we have one thing in common, at least. Yeah. So they're both virgins. So, yeah, that that's established here, too, but it's different. Because Edith okay. says, Edith says, can I ask you something now? Something potentially offensive. And Bo says, it's your turn. And Edith says, do you have any experience with sex and humans? And Bo says, I was a little surprised that my face didn't go hot again. It felt natural to tell her everything. Not even a little bit. This is all first for me. I told you, blah, 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 blah. The same thing that Bella says. But then they have the, like, love and lust conversation. Edith starts... And then it goes on, right? Yeah, Edith starts talking yeah. <laughs> and is like, would you like me to tell you the things that distract me about you? And talks about, yeah. like, those eyes. And then... Yeah, it gets, like, super, like not super sexual but like super sexual for this book yeah yeah like, <laughs> you don't have anything like that in twilight like they just go to sleep after that mm-hmm. <laughs> in twilight or she goes to sleep yeah edith like talks about Bo's eyes and then his arms and then his hair and then but it's just really funny because she's like i didn't even mention your hair and he's like okay now i know you're making fun and she says i'm not you know your hair is precisely the same shade as a teak inlaid ceiling in a monastery i once stayed at <laughs> in cambodia or and she says, in what I think would be considered Cambodia now. Oh my god, fuck off, Edith. <laughs> it's just like, I just feel like maybe Stephanie so regretted not putting more tender moments between Bella and Edward and Twilight. Yeah. And like, maybe added this in or something like that. But I'm also just yeah. like... Well, she's also had like, she's had like 10 years to reflect on these characters and like to see how other people interact with them like Mm -hmm. before they were only hers and only she knew about them but now like i don't know there's there's five movies about them Mm -hmm. and like there's like this huge like sexual craze about them Mm -hmm. and so maybe she's come to see them as more sexual but or maybe it was just Catherine hardwick maybe Catherine hardwick wrote this oh my god like yeah Catherine hardwick like kidnapped her (laughs) yeah and forced her to write like ghost wrote life and death (laughs) (laughs) just to sum up that Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's obviously like such a huge double standard that in both situations 
it's like Bo and Edward are the ones who are being more explicit about sex mm-hmm. and like and it's the same like throughout life and death like Bo was has been like initiating so much more physical contact with Edith totally. than, than Belle and Edward ever had and like thinking about Edith and like the narration in a more sexual way and yeah. like mentioning more like her body type and like her physical yep. appearance much more so than Bella ever did with Edward. I'm gonna scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go hang out with the Collins. Yeah, chapter, chapter 15. 15. So, in chapter 15, Bo goes to meet the Collins officially for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, Edith brings him over and to meet her family. Something that stood out to me when I read Life and Death is that, so in Twilight, Bella wears this really iconic, oh terrible outfit that to meet the Collins. It, she wears a button-down khaki skirt to meet her boyfriend's family and it's like this was 2005 but it was not ever it was never a look, look. no ever we have a and we don't get expert in the room with me would you ever wear a floor-length khaki skirt never she would never wear a <laughs> khaki skirt <laughs> i was so disheartened because i really wanted to know mm. like what Bo wears but it's not commented on he wears a hoodie yeah it just says a hoodie and like there's no there's no like and, like, I don't necessarily think that I, like, want Bo to wear something really cringy because I want the best for him, but... Yeah, I, but he's already worn the Monty Python t-shirt. Yeah, and it's only fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's worn the Monty Python t-shirt and he's worn, I don't know if you remember this, but he wore to bed the, just the night before that we were oh, talking about. The, oh my god, the, the pig, the pig. Yeah, he wore the pig With t-shirt. The, <laughs> the barbecue, and yeah. And like, upset by it because she's yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. looks yeah. too happy to be food. <laughs> like, right. shut the fuck up. It's a t-shirt. Yeah. So yeah, there's no equivalent for that, which is... Tragic. Um, interesting. Tragic, yeah, is what I mean. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it's all very interesting. Is That's like, when I say something is interesting on this podcast, it's a euphemism for terrible. Yeah. We're just <laughs> like trying time. to protect ourselves in case Stephanie Meyer listens to this podcast and like decides yeah. that because of this, she's Hi, like pushed over the edge and will never write Midnight Sun because she's afraid yeah. we'll do a podcast on it. <laughs> she should be afraid. She should be afraid because I am interested yeah. in doing that. If she didn't write, if she wrote Midnight Sun, then like this podcast wouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like that would be good for her, so it's her own fault. It's like you cost us. <laughs> Reading Life and Death kind of brings about like a new take on Twilight, obviously, but mm-hmm. like kind of allows me to re- revisit it with fresh eyes. Mm. And I was thinking about how the Cullens' home, it's like their safe space, kind of. Yeah, totally. And, like, bringing in a human, like Bo, kind of ruins it with the scent of his blood and kind of, like, interrupts that space. Yeah, if I were um, Jessamine or Royal, specifically, because yeah. I know that Archie and Eleanor don't like, really Archie's care. Yeah. And, like, obviously... Uh, Ernest? What the fuck? Yeah, Ernest would never accept not bringing Yeah, Bo. Yeah, if I were Jessamine or Royal, I'd be pretty pissed that you bring a human into the one place in my life that I can just, like, be myself right. and, like, don't have to smell human blood. I, I wouldn't be thrilled about that. But yeah, the Cullens' home is, like notoriously beautiful mm-hmm. um they do it a little bit more modern in the movie but in the in the book it's um supposed to look more traditional from the outside mm-hmm. it's like says um, but on the it's about like a hundred years old yeah and then but the back they've replaced with all like windows which is where they get the movie concept from i mm-hmm. think it's it's interesting like how the cullen's house has turned out mm-hmm. um in terms of style mm-hmm because they they come from so many different time periods, especially, like, mm. if you're thinking about, like, Carlisle versus, like, Emmett. Yeah. 
Um, like there's so they've lived through so many different periods of fashion and interior design. Like it's a miracle that like their house isn't incredibly tacky and yeah. like, looks like a hoarder's nest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you would think that like it would be really hard for them all to agree on like one cohesive style. On the inside, it doesn't really matter. Probably Archie would never let them live. Archie slash Alice mm-hmm. would never let them live like a gross looking lifestyle. Yeah, or Ernest slash Esme. Yeah, because yes. I she she's supposed to be really. They are supposed to be really like uh, <laughs> they, passionate yeah. about interior design. Honestly, yeah. best way to practice gender neutral pronouns is to read Life and Death and have to yeah. refer to all the characters in a gender neutral way because they exist as both for you now. <laughs> Obviously, like Carlisle slash Kareen has this this huge um like like old cross that their father made in the 1600s so like they do have sentimental value for some objects i don't really know like what a vampire's sense of home is obviously like for a nomadic vampire they don't have Mm -hmm. one but even the cullens have to move every like couple of years which for them is like super quick yeah anyway and it's also to keep up appearances it makes me wonder like how did carlisle kareen how did they like get that cross like did they yeah. take it and carry it with them literally everywhere exactly. they went like some jesus figure like <laughs> running through the land of europe like, like when they move like, like that's a good point in general for like when they move like they do they must accrue some personal value values mm-hmm. um like valuable items like because we know i don't know we know from the book that carlisle kareen has like a bunch of books and paintings Mm -hmm. in their office like that's like all really old valuable stuff and they can't like when they move like they have enough stuff that they can't like pick it up and run with it right because like like, do they u-haul do they u-haul across the country literally road trip across (laughs) the country or like in the in the past too like did they like take covered wagon like what did they do when like cars weren't always around but they had to move and like i don't know what kind of material like stuff they had back then because it wasn't as common to have a ton of stuff but like a huge cross (laughs) like you can't just run across (laughs) the country carrying a huge cross yeah i mean they probably just ship it that's true and like if they if they're planning ahead of time they probably can ship and then like they themselves run (laughs) yeah there's like a lot of logistics there in the AU, where everyone in Twilight slash Life and Death is a lesbian, where it's just the women yeah, versions yeah, yeah, of all yeah. these characters, and they're U-hauling. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That's so great. Someone write it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I remember I remember this from uh, Life and Death, because it's traumatizing. <laughs> when, <laughs> like everything that yeah. I remember. When Bo meets Archie for the first time, they are have a self-described bro hug oh yes that's upsetting which is so yeah it's upsetting it's not anything that alice alice would never Mm-mm. archie's not a bro no neither is Bo. neither of that like why would like why can't why can't men have normal physical contact yeah there's no <laughs> neither of them would initiate that or be comfortable with it like happening just have, just a, have a hug we meet ernest mm-hmm. i don't know if we've already said that ernest is the name of esme the gender swapped name of esme um that one bothers me a lot that yeah <laughs> but i know i know there's a lot of e names happening yeah but they, they're all like edward edwin ernest esme eleanor emmett none of them are normal yeah except maybe so eleanor i guess yeah i always like think that like confuse eleanor esme ernest mm-hmm. like i don't know who's who so they come into the house uh we meet archie and jessamine well 
we already know them, mm-hmm. but Bo is officially meeting Archie and Jessamine and Ernest, Ernest and Kareen, and they talk, and it's very pleasant. We sit down at the piano where Edith plays Bo the <laughs> song that she has written. Oh, for you're him. about to say this, aren't you? The teardrop yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm really bothered by this. <laughs> okay, so so Bo, first of all, Bo's lullaby. We don't know. Um, Mm, what it sounds like right I'm, i'd like to think that it's different from bella's lullaby which was done perfectly in yeah the film, i would also like to think opinion. it's different yeah because the handwriting is different of these people <laughs> yeah. and like some other arbitrary things so there's really no reason for me to believe that like this lullaby would yeah. be the same so in twilight what happens is that edward's playing bella her lullaby and she's very moved by it um so much that she sheds a couple of tears bella has cried multiple times in this book so like that's normal mm-hmm. <laughs> i gotta i gotta read it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I gotta call attention to this super strange moment. This doesn't happen in the movie, and, like, thank God, because I don't want to see it with my eyes, yeah. and just knowing that it happens in print is upsetting. She's crying. She says, thank you. I realized there were tears in my eyes. I dabbed at them, embarrassed. He touched the corner of my eye, <laughs> trapping one I'd missed. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> he lifted his finger, examining the drop of moisture broodingly. <laughs> If that's if and, that's not like the best description, the one sentence yeah. description of Edward Cullen, <laughs> yeah. And then so quickly, I couldn't be positive that he really did. He put his finger to his mouth to taste it. <laughs> I looked at him questioningly, and he gazed back for a long moment before he finally smiled. And then they talk about something else and never discuss that again. <laughs> it's like so. The fandom he has eats her tear. conveniently forgotten this fact yeah and it's sam's personal mission to remind everyone about once a month that this happened (laughs) (laughs) and every time i'm like i don't want to participate in this we black it out because it's so uncomfortable (laughs) like why did he do that okay and then so (laughs) in life and death this doesn't happen because bo doesn't cry yeah he's never cried before Bo doesn't cry so there's no equivalent like there's no tear for edith to taste No Tears Left to Taste by Ariana Grande. (laughs) I'm going to change the title of this episode. Oh my god. No Tears Left to Taste. Gross. So while Bo is meeting the Cullens for the first time, um, he notices that Jessamine has used her power of, um, like, (laughs) basically emotional manipulation. Emotional manipulation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's making everyone feel more calm, even though, like, things are going pretty well. But he notices that it's happening. And what he says is, like, something along the lines of, like, oh, it kind of feels like the way I do when Jules is around, which is Uh, so random. He randomly brings up Jules while meeting his girlfriend's family. There was something like a lion about her now when she was just standing there about Jasmine. But despite that, I was suddenly totally comfortable. It felt like I was in my own place, surrounded by people I knew well. Easy, kind of like when Jules was around. It was strange to feel that here, and then I remembered what Edith had told me about what Jasmine could do. That was weird to think about. It didn't feel like someone was using magic or whatever on me. And I think the first time we read this, we were like, is this like Stephanie Meyer reflecting on this imprint discourse of like i don't know it's still it's so forced to have to like yeah. for him to be thinking about her in this moment it's like it doesn't happen in twilight it's like stephanie realizes that she's not gonna write the new moon and eclipse equivalent of this new alternative series so she yeah. like has to throw in as many things about jules as possible because like as we know jules isn't really a big character in twilight or jacob isn't really a big character in twilight and so like right. there's no time for jules character to really be just like 
developed, so maybe she's just yeah. trying to throw in, like, a one-liner there and, like... Yeah, like, oh, yeah, Jules still exists, remember? Yeah. I don't know if we talked about this in earlier episodes or not, but Stephanie Meyer acknowledged that she didn't she didn't realize that people were, like, not gonna like Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> Later on. So, like, I think that maybe she's trying harder for to be, like, she's likable. Yeah. Like, we like Jules. Yeah. yeah. It's I, really forced. Yeah. It it's is. A forced moment. It's, like, I feel like the whole series, though, is, like, Stephanie trying to be, like, you have to like Jacob and me being like, yeah. Bet. I don't, and it's like, yeah, I don't mind Jacob and in, in Twilight. I really don't. I just didn't because he's not really a character. I didn't think he was yeah. anything to write home about. And then like New Moon, yeah. I was like, who? <laughs> and then Oops. Eclipse, I was like, wow, cancel, go away. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Jules is like, Jules is likable. Like you don't have to convince me. Yeah, but you also need to like bring her up while Bo is meeting his girlfriend's family. It's very strange. Yeah, and they like don't hang out. Yeah, like he hasn't seen her. Yeah, in, like a hot second. Yeah, that was really strange. Yeah, that was a <laughs> weird moment. I think the in the end of fifteen they talk start talking about Corinne's backstory. So this is super. Yeah, this is really interesting, and this is so like super gendered. I can read it because I don't think people are gonna remember. I feel like yeah. the majority of people that are like familiar with Twilight are really familiar with the movie, and the movie doesn't really talk too much about Carlisle. So I can read this just as a backdrop. We're about to learn about Corinne's character. If you don't remember, she is a doctor. Yeah. And she was born, like, 400 years ago. She was um, born 362 years ago. But she was born (laughs) in London in the 1640s, and time wasn't marked as accurately then for the common people. It was before Cromwell's rule, though. And she was the only daughter of an Anglican pastor. Her mother died in childbirth, and her father was a hard man driven. He believed very strongly in the reality of evil, and he led hunts for witches, werewolves, and vampires. Um, So she hasn't switched the dad, like... Her dad is still, like, yeah. Carlisle was talking about his father, and the father is still a man in Life and Death. The first time I read so, this, I was kind of like, is this the character that gets a coup? Yeah, for sure, because it's like, why didn't she change him? And it's like, okay, you admit that, like, there is some gendered part of, like, being a pastor in this year. Yeah, <laughs> like you, in 1640, you to acknowledge, like, the role, the relationship between gender and religion, and, like the history there she seems to understand that and like i totally understand why that was kept the same but she doesn't apply the same thing to kareen at all Mm -hmm. so kareen did what she could do to protect the innocent people that like her father was burning and she was a really big believer in a scientific method which is like new (laughs) in the 1640s and she tries to convince her father to look past superstition (laughs) and do we get more details about the story in life and death yeah, I, th- I feel like we might. Kareen says, like, that she remembers the night... Well, this isn't Kareen talking, this is Edith giving Kareen's story. Edith is saying, Kareen members- remembers the night clearly for a human memory. It was the kind of thing that would stick in your mind. Her father came home really late. Kareen had waited up and worried. He was furious. And Kareen mm-hmm. tries to calm him, but he ignored her. And then there was a man in the middle of their small room and mm-hmm. who was, like, ragged, dressed like a beggar, but his face was beautiful and he spoke Latin. Because of her father's vocation and her own curiosity, Kareen was usually unusually educated for a woman in those days. She understood what the man said. He told her father that he was a fool and would pay for the damage he had caused. The preacher threw himself in front of her, his daughter to protect her. We don't get these details, I don't think, in Twilight. Yeah, I think that this is something that Stephanie wanted to develop a little bit more. And then the vampire smiled. He told the preacher, go to your hell knowing, go to your hell knowing this. That what you love will become all that you hate. He tossed the preacher to the side and grabbed Corrine. He made sure that the preacher knew what would happen to Corrine, and then he killed the preacher very slowly while Corrine watched, writhing in pain and horror. 
The vampire left. Kareen knew that her fate, if someone found her in this condition, anything infected by the monster would have to be destroyed. She acted instinctively to save her own life. Despite the pain she was in, she crawled into the cellar and buried herself in a pile of rotting potatoes for three days. It's a miracle she was able to keep silent to stay undiscovered. And then Bo's like, what happened next? And then Edith is like, I'll show you. And then they go to Kareen's office. I feel like it's interesting that Edith gives Bo all of, like, these gory details, and I feel like Edward was always sparing Bella, mm-hmm. like, potentially disturbing information because he didn't want to scare her, and yeah. I don't know, it feels, that feels a little bit different, but... I think it's definitely it's, just that, like, like Edward viewed Bella as, like, a really fragile... Incapable. Incapable, yeah, incapable <laughs> person, and, like, yeah. Edith gives a lot more credit to Bo, and, like, involves yeah. him a lot more in, like, discussions, and, like, doesn't... Well, he's a man, so of course he's capable. (laughs) She doesn't lie as much as Edward does or, like, withhold information in the same way. That's true. It's just, like, it gives off a a healthier relationship vibe. So in the the next section, we kind of learn more about Kareen and her becoming a doctor, which is very interesting uh, and historically inaccurate on behalf of (laughs) Stephanie Meyer. (laughs) Because Stephanie Meyer kind of claims that, like, Kareen um, was, like, getting all kinds of training and, like, was able to go to school, but no one would hire her as if, like, she would even ever be able to go to school, like, before, like, the last, I don't know, couple of decades. (laughs) Yeah, like, absolutely not. Even if Kareen was allowed to sit in on classes, because that happened quite frequently, is that, like, women were allowed to, I guess, like, what you would call the equivalent of today, like, audit a class, where, like, you yeah. can go to the class and learn, but you will never be awarded a degree with your name on it for, like, the right. medical field if you're a woman in the 1700s, <laughs> first of all. Really, really reaching. <laughs> it's a huge reach. It's just a completely different, like, the way that Kareen and all, all of the women now, all the women who are Cullens in Twilight and Life and Death, the way that they experienced, you know, the last hundred or hundreds of years is super different from the way that either their male counterparts or male versions of themselves mm-hmm. would experience it. And I wish that Stephanie Meyer had, I mean, there, I think there was a way that she could have made this make more sense instead of being like, yeah, she went to school. She was a doctor like yeah. 300 years ago. Like she could have, she could have given Kareen access to more traditionally feminine, mm. like holistic healing practices, yeah. like, I don't know, healing arts, even things related to witchcraft traditionally like doula work Mm -hmm. and like other things like that yeah westernized like traditional medicine is not the only type of medicine that exists and like yeah it would have been cool to have kareen have a background in that whereas carlisle's background was much more like by the book yeah he's literally like a european protestant man yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah i think it's interesting too like if you think about how even today, women in stereotypically masculine roles, like, I'm thinking of Kareen in the role of a doctor, like, they still experience gender depression in the workplace. Like, that must be hyper frustrating if you're a vampire. Yeah. Because you know that you could literally, like, kill and ruin anyone. And, like, <laughs> you know that you're better than everyone. And, like, yeah. I feel like maybe it makes Kareen less apt to imposter syndrome um or like the feeling that you don't like belong or like the feeling that like you got there by accident which is what imposter syndrome is it makes her like less susceptible to that than other like female doctors in 
like what 2005 but so like there's some privilege there some vampire privilege but it also must be super frustrating like seeing someone like take you for granted or like underestimate you and being like well actually I'm way older than you I know way more than you I have multiple degrees and like I am undoubtedly more educated and like more equipped to deal with this situation than you are yeah I think it's just unrealistic that Carlyle and Carlyle and Kareen are supposed to be the same person. The way that Kareen would have experienced the last 300 400 years would just make you a different person. Yeah. Than Carlyle. I mean, sh- sure they'd probably just both be super compassionate still probably, but like I think for Kareen, I mean, she literally wouldn't be able to be a doctor. Like she maybe she could have been a nurse for a while. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have been a doctor until like extremely recently and then I think that I feel like it would have caused her to pursue other medical interests Mm -hmm. like that aren't necessarily general practice the way that carlisle does Mm -hmm. i think that like she might be interested in like problems that like for example women are having Mm -hmm. in 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 health and medicine and and things like that that she can see are being under under underseen or like are undervalued in the field because because of gender because she's experiencing it herself whereas carlisle can kind of like literally do whatever the fuck he wants for the last 400 years life has not changed for men true in the last for white men true it's only <laughs> gotten the last 400 years like slightly easier whereas like I for guess. women it's Both gotten them, yeah. like better and worse and better and worse and better and worse yeah. cyclically i feel i was just thinking this isn't necessarily related to kareen but like how like when colonization happens mm-hmm. a women will cross the world like lose a lot of rights to a lot of things and like vampires vampire women like experience this as they're alive yeah Yeah, i mean if they want to i mean i know a lot not a lot of apparently apparently not a lot of vampires choose to live in society yeah like the cullens do but if i was a vampire as a woman or like just not a man Mm -hmm. i guess i would like I would probably just choose to be a nomad because I wouldn't want to live in a society. Yeah, absolutely. And you probably wouldn't have the same ability to. Like, you'd have to find a vampire mate who would have to be a man to, like, get you property rights, you know? you you couldn't. (laughs) You couldn't couldn't live live. in a society if you were were just by yourself. That's true. Wow, that sucks. Rip. (laughs) Wow. No tears left to taste. No tears left to taste. (laughs) There was something that we noticed uh, that is actually quite noticeable when you read life and death um in this chapter um when edith takes beau into kareen's study mm-hmm. she's pointing him to all these different paintings mm-hmm. and oh. in twilight yeah this is in twilight where we see the valtteri for the first time but we don't learn that they're, they're the valtteri it's mm-hmm. a painting of um aro caius and marcus but in life and death it's different people mm-hmm. and but they're just referred to as like the nighttime patrons of the arts the same way that edward refers to the valtteri um, in Twilight. Sulpicia, Marcus, and Athenadora. Yeah. So, like, that's interesting. Like, I don't, we don't really know at this point if that's significant at all, because at this point it's like, whomst yeah. the Stephanie Meyer thing she is. I don't really want to say anything more about it. Yeah. Oh, also, <laughs> I guess I, Mele is in the picture. Oh, right. Sulpicia yeah, is, like, always forget about her. Servant. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's kind of implied that maybe, like, these people are the Volturi, but for no real reason, apparently. So that's an interesting thing to take note of because that's the only time that we really like learn about the Volturi. Um, but that kind of leads me into what I was gonna say that at the fir- the first time that we were reading this, when we hadn't read the rest of the book, we had some theories mm-hmm. about how the book was going to turn out, and I would just like to restate them because sure. 
And not speculate on which ones could be true or not. And not... Yes. The first one is that maybe Marcus is a character who gets a coup. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, I specifically remember having this, like, epiphany while reading it that, like, this would be a really fantastic way for her to tie off this book. Mm-hmm. Which was if the Huntress at the beginning of Life and Death is actually Victoria and those villains have not been gender swapped. Mm, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. we're actually killing, like, if we kill her off at the end of this book, then, there's then no it need. breaks off... Yeah, it breaks off New Moon and Eclipse. There's no threat and, like, in New Moon and Eclipse. Yeah. Because Victoria is, I, like, the enemy in those two books. Yeah, and that would allow, like, Laurent and Irina to, like, live a happy life together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, I don't know, something about James. I don't really know, like, what it would be for James. We were saying like, that James, perhaps, I feel like, wouldn't have the same... Attachment. Attachment Revenge. to Victoria, perhaps, or, like, maybe the need to, yeah, avenge... Or, like, even maybe if James, like, isn't even a character. <laughs> yeah, like, James doesn't need to you exist. Know? James is pretty, We don't like, know that. Whatever. Yeah. I guess, like, New Moon would still be possible, but it would just be, like, a depression story. <laughs> yeah, and then Eclipse wouldn't be <laughs> necessary. Really happen. Yeah. And I guess, like, if, if those vampires were gone, like, I don't know, I guess the, like, the stuff with the wolves, like, so many of the Quileutes turning into wolves wouldn't necessarily happen because the threat of vampires wasn't growing strong. True. So, like, a lot of them probably wouldn't even become... Yeah, werewolves. I think some of the latest ones to turn would be Embry, Quill, Leah, like and the Clearwaters Seth. wouldn't yeah. turn. So those those four probably wouldn't turn into wolves. Harry Clearwater would probably live. True, Harry Clearwater. I mean, he, he might die in a different way, right? But like, because he had a heart attack, so he probably like wasn't doing great. But That's true. he had a heart all attack when he fry. saw Victoria. <laughs> yeah, all the fish fry. <laughs> but yeah, they probably wouldn't turn. So like mm-hmm. that would it would just be completely different. This series of books should Stephanie Meyer write the rest of them although we know that she hasn't so Mm -hmm. we know that she has to end it wrap it up some way which is why i think victoria being the huntress would be i I stand by this i think that victoria being the huntress would be a great ending to this book (laughs) yeah i also think that we know how this book ends yep we sure do (laughs) stick around it's really good (laughs) so the the thing that happens next uh in the next section the next episode that you listen to will be vampire baseball yeah the american pastime well stay tuned for um vampire baseball i guess we're gonna meet the villains next time i think yeah we should yeah start our chase scene (sighs) wow the actual plot of twilight is starting to happen huh yeah the actual plot wow it hasn't mattered we completely disregarded it. Seventy pages so far. Two hundred and eighty pages so far have not mattered, but the plot is coming soon, everyone. Watch out. Alright, we'll see you next time. That's all folks. Thank you for listening to Gender Forking. To stay updated about the podcast or to contact us, follow us on Twitter at at Gender Forking or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash genderforking. For more Twilight content from us, you can follow our blog at bowlingshirtbellas.tumblr.com. If you haven't read Life and Death and you aren't reading along at home, visit bowlingshirtbellas.tumblr.com slash genderforking for plot summaries and more information about the text. For other inquiries, you can email us at bowlingshirtbellas at gmail.com. The music you are hearing is Thursday and Snow Reprise by Blank Kit. <laughs>